listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Now, let's get into this episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. quick before we jump in this episode uh i just want to say i just listened back to the intro um some days later after i recorded it and i just feel i just felt encouraged by it you know my first response to it was with a little fresh ears was man andy you're really care about this <laughs> you're being real serious about this and And actually, you know, that's what this episode is about, is allowing yourself to care about stuff even when the competition is steep, even when there's a long journey, even when you're not sure you got what it takes. And I'm just looking back on uh, recent past Andy and just being like, hey, man, I'm glad you show up the internet on a regular basis with your whole heart and authentically caring about stuff in a non-detached way uh, because that's the kind of life I want to live, that I want to care about stuff. And if you are sick of pretending not to care, I hope this episode helps you get into the rich fuel that is your passion and care and intention. Let's do it. Rejection and not being picked, especially when you really want to be picked, when you're really trying, like trying is such a vulnerable feeling because you're opening yourself up to rejection. Even in my life right now, there are things that are possibilities on the horizon and I can feel myself desperately trying to protect my heart, trying to protect myself by not allowing myself to care. Rejection is so painful that we will pay the cost of choosing to hate the thing that we love the most. And I'll explain a little bit how that works. But uh, I'm sure you've experienced the pain of rejection and the temptation to not allow yourself to try or care or go for something just to protect yourself from ever feeling the, that sting of rejection again. When I graduated college, 
me and my best friend at the time were both obsessed with working at Urban Outfitters. Listen, it was a different time. There was a time when we didn't realize that Urban Outfitters was controlled by these corporate, uh, you know, whatevers that were appropriating culture and, you know, ripping people off. We didn't know, man. And at the time, actually, I would also argue back in the mid 2000s, they were doing some actually super dope things like our favorite illustrators and designers had all come from Urban Outfitters and they had had this like time and space where they got all this freedom to make all this amazing stuff. It was all the stuff that was super inspiring to us. People like Jim Datz and Mike Perry and Damian Carell and Stephen Harrington had done stuff for them. All kinds of uh, people who me and my buddy were just huge, huge fans of at the time. And uh, we were both desperate to kind of follow in our hero's footsteps. We both applied for this design position in London And my buddy got an email saying that he was going to do an interview. And I was like, oh, man, I'm waiting to see if I get that email. And then he went and did the interview and he got a call back. And I started to feel like maybe that email wasn't coming. And then he went for another interview and he got the job. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I got the news. Of course, I was genuinely happy for my friend. But I also remember going to the chip shop and sitting in the car as my future mother-in-law went in to get the fish and chips. Should have been a glorious time. Freaking love fish and chips. But I'm sat there with this despair in the pit of my stomach. Like, why are you even trying. You didn't just get picked last. You didn't get picked at all. You don't even get to play. And I remember just thinking like, I hate design. <laughs> I hate this. I, I like, oh, this is oh, it's all this garbage. You know, it's politics. It's he has this and that. And it's all it's all for, you know, the surface and looks and fashion and whatever. It's nothing about the deep stuff. And what I did was I chose to hate the thing that I loved rather than get hurt by it. And I, that's kind of where I quit pursuing design, I started focusing more on illustration, which I think was actually a good call. And I start focusing on illustration. I start getting obsessed with illustration. I'm like passionate. I'm just, you know, saving all these pen boards and just getting obsessed with it and diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And sooner or later, though, this passion starts to get overwhelmed by a different feeling, which is intense fear of rejection. When you really love something and it comes back to bite you, any time in the future that you start to really care about something, you're going to be conditioned to panic, to see that as a vulnerability. And the temptation is to feel like I'm not good enough. I can't be sure that I'm good enough at at this game. And so I better not play at all. I better not even open myself up to that vulnerability. So if you are in a situation where you're looking at the competition, you're looking at all the people doing this in the world and you're just feeling like, man, I am not good enough to even play and you're tempted to start to hate the thing that you love the most, which is just a recipe for a terrible existence, come along with me as we dive deep into how to cut through the steepest, steepest of competitions, how to be heard in this incredibly noisy world and how to finally break through. Let's go. overwhelmed by the steepness of competition, the first thing you need to do is number one, micro define success based on your strengths. 
Now, I'm no stranger to rejection. I've been rejected my entire life uh, for, for all kinds of different things. I'm kind of a weird person with weird strengths and uh, even weirder weaknesses. I'm not good at most things that most people are good at. Uh, and that includes, of course, sports. Now, you've probably heard me say this even on the show. I've said it my whole life. I hate sports. I hate playing sports. But actually, that's not really true at all. I don't hate playing sports. I hate playing with buckets of oil and tampons. <laughs> can I just, how long, how, how long can I pause after that to just make it extra weird? Let me explain what I mean by that. Okay, so... I have an older brother who was sports crazy. He was swishing three-pointers left and right, freaking loved sports. My whole family was obsessed with basketball, uh, and I used to tag along with my older brother when he would go play pickup games with his friends when we were really, really little. And, uh, and you know, we would be shooting around, you know, before the game, before we pick teams, and people would be swishing and trying fancy stuff, and I would just be like totally airballing the easiest shots and just and slowly I could just feel everybody uh, that was uh, uh, playing just looking at me like dear god I hope this kid doesn't end up on my team and so usually more often than not there was an odd number of players and everybody would pick their teams and not only would I either get picked last most often I didn't get picked at all and I'd just be sat in the grass watching them play. You sit in the grass long enough, you're going to have to start making your own games. And so I started looking around this kid's garage, went to the back of the garage, found this giant mysterious bucket full of this black goo and I started sticking sticks in there and like dripping it and like you know just <laughs> playing with this black goo some kid starts going to the bathroom or getting a snack or something and sees me doing that it's like Andy what are you doing don't play with that that's oil it's like toxic stop messing around with that and I was so embarrassed so I put down the stick quit playing with the oil and I started looking for something else to do and I found this weird thing that I'd never seen before and I picked it up and I was so like blown away it looked like an alien device of some kind so I ran right in the middle of the game I was like guys what the heck is this and they were like oh man there's all these prepubescent boys who were just totally you know had to play the part of being totally disgusted by this thing that I had no idea what it was and they were like dude that's a tampon man do you know what that is I didn't even know what that was but the horror in their face and the embarrassment that I felt meant that I just freaking launched that thing and never turned back <laughs> try to get as much distance as I could so suffice it to say there's a lot of pain and, and hurt associated with sports for me and so maybe that's why I had to spend my whole life claiming to hate sports and that was until middle school if you listen to this podcast, you know way too much about my life, including you probably heard me say that in middle school, I got my growth spurt before everybody else. And I had this crazy run of being a superstar sports athlete uh, for like two years, seventh and eighth grade, and then went right back to being below average and everything when everybody caught up to me. But in that time, man, I was a, I was a football star. I was a f basketball star. I was a track star. I was living it up, just crushing it. And yeah, part of it was because I was bigger than everybody, but that really just gave me the confidence to go out for the team. But what I learned as I was playing basketball was that basketball isn't just about shooting. That's just one way of defining success. That's a broad way of defining what basketball is. And actually what made me good was that I was I could jump higher than even the other taller people on my team and I could win all the tip-offs and I got all the rebounds and I was faster and I was also more strategic and I was a more of a team player because I couldn't shoot all, you know I eventually I got good at layups but I couldn't shoot from outside uh, that little pocket 
it and I ended up having to pass and look for and hit people when they're open. And so I was a team player and all these other things meant that I was really good at playing the game. And, and I'm, and I think that a lot of athletes, pro athletes figure this out along the way. Can you imagine if Shaq thought he was terrible at basketball? Now I'm comparing myself to Shaq. Me and Shaq, we got a lot of things in common. I do love Shaq. But imagine if Shaq thought, oh, I am terrible at free throws. My free throw average, by the way, probably crushed most of Shaq's career because he was so terrible at free throws. But can you imagine? This guy's a Hall hall of Fame Hall star. Uh, <laughs> I almost said. Um, if he, he wouldn't even have played if he thought that it was just this macro version of what it meant to be good at basketball. Or even... Lots of people think more macro, like I'm not creative. I'm just not good enough as it to be a professional artist. But can you imagine if Michael Jordan had defined uh, his success in that broad of a stroke? If he was just like, I'm just not good enough at sports to be a pro sports player. If he would have defined it that way, he would have never found his focus and never realized he was the best of all time. Did you know Michael Jordan, the best player of all time in your face, LeBron? No, I don't know. I don't know enough. I know a lot of people have controversy around this, but but he would have never known that he was one of the greatest athletes of all time if he had just defined himself by his general performance as an athlete, because you might not know this, but Michael Jordan was kind of an average baseball player. And that's what happens when we have too broad a definition of success. But the biggest thing I learned from this little stint in sports is that I loved playing basketball. And as everybody grew up and grew past me and got taller than me, I had to ask myself if I was going to keep playing. If I was going to think, you know what, I'm not good enough at this game, so I better not play at all. Or instead think, I love playing this game so much that I better play to my strengths. That's the power of playing to your strengths. And so I kept playing on the weekends with my dad and his buddies. And the way that I made sure that I was not a liability and an asset on the team was to play to my strengths, is to not shoot a bunch of shots that I had no business shooting, but to make rebounds the priority, making team plays the priority, making passes and picks and strategy the priority. That's the power of playing to your strengths. That's the power of unearthing. What are you particularly good at? It doesn't even have to be the main thing. A lot of people think that illustration is all about drawing. I wasn't even the best at drawing in my art class at high school, let alone the world. So why do I have any business being one of the few people that get to make a living at this? Because I focused on my strengths. I played to my strengths. And when you do that, you don't have to be great at basketball to have a career in basketball. You can be good enough to be uh, on the 90s Chicago Bulls in the position of power forward with the hyper focus of rebounding and have one of the greatest careers of all time like one Dennis Rodman. You can be the Dennis Rodman of your industry if you will play to your strengths. I have a buddy who is a phenomenal illustrator. I love his work. His name is J.P. Kuvert, and he is one of the few people that have had a Kickstarter backed at 776% funding. And did he do it by being the best illustrator of all time? No, he absolutely didn't. He did it by being the illustrator in his community of Dungeons and Dragons with a focus on DIY low-level TTRPG adventures with 5e and OSR compatibility. 
Do I know what that means? No, because it's not my focus, because I don't care enough about Dungeons and Dragons to dive that deep and find that level of focus. But if you will, maybe you too could have a Kickstarter that's backed at 776%. So number one, the first thing you got to do to cut past the competition is to micro define success. Don't be satisfied with the general broad definition of success. Don't let that fear of not being good enough cause you not to play the game at all. Make that reality that you're not good at everything in the game to cause you to play to your strengths by micro defining what success looks like for someone like you. Second thing you need to do is say yes to the journey of finding your strengths. Now, before you be like, all right, Andy, you've talked about this before. Yes, I have, but I want to add some fresh, uh, rich newness to this, some extra funk because it has helped me recently and I feel like I've got some new bits and pieces to this. And not to mention, I happen to think saying yes to finding, saying yes to the journey to finding your strengths is an enormous part of what life is about and it, it it bears repeating and digging deeper into I really believe that half of what you're doing on this planet is finding your strengths the other half is using your strengths for the benefit of others and the benefit of yourself but when I say saying saying yes to the journey of finding your strengths and I'm saying saying yes to the journey it is a journey. It is not an activity that you do in a half an hour session with a guidance counselor in your high school. No, I am a firm believer that the people that contribute to society in the biggest ways are the people who have said, I took a decade, I took 20 years to, to find myself and find what am I uniquely capable of contributing. That's where you're going to micro-define your success. The difference between you uh, su succeeding and you failing is less about whether or not you have strengths and more to do with you knowing what they are. You've heard me say this a million times, and I'll say it a million times again. That's how passionate I am about this. Dolly Parton's quote, find who you are and do it on purpose. Those are two separate journeys. It's speaking to the two journeys in life. Finding who you are is a journey in its own right. Stephen Pressfield, author of The War of Art, Every time I say that, I have to pause so I don't say the art of war. I have to think in my head, wait, which way around is it? Which way is the play on it? And it, the war of art, he talks about there are two journeys. There's the hero's journey for the artist that comes before the artist's journey. The hero's journey is the journey of finding your calling, finding your strengths, finding what type of art should I be making? I was a decade into my career before I found public speaking and podcasting, which was so essential. So and it plays on so many strengths that were completely dormant. I'm a huge fan of the strengths finder test. It's based on, it's a personality test that's based on a ton of research. It's, it's created by a data company. The Strengths Finder test, I think the only reason you might not get a ton from it is because it is so surprising. The results are so shocking. One of the things that came up on my Strengths Finder top five strengths was competitiveness. And the fact of the matter is, I never would have seen that in myself had I not taken that test. And the funny thing is, I wouldn't have seen it because I wasn't into sports and that's what I associated with competitiveness. But what's hilarious is the reason I wasn't into sports is because I was so competitive that I refused to play things that I was bad at. And they said that in the breakdown of that strength that they might be so competitive they refuse to play games that they can't win. 
that's a problem that I have and I've worked on it over time, but I never would have even seen that in me. It took years and so many personality tests and so much trying stuff and pivoting to get closer and closer to seeing what are my actual real strengths. It is not something you can do in an afternoon. Speaking of which, what the thing, the practical thing I want to leave you with on this point is in the past, in my first Skillshare class, in different episodes of the show, we've talked about the idea of the industry market and niche, finding your industry market and niche. And you can think of it like a bullseye, you know, a big circle. That's the industry you're in. I'm in the illustration industry. Uh, the circle inside of that circle is the market. I'm in the kids book market. And then the circle inside of that circle, which is like the bullseye in that target is what type of kids books do I make? What are the unique strengths that I bring to the table? What is the unique taste and flavor and philosophy that I bring to the kids book market in order to stand out where I fit in? Okay. But the thing I want to add to this is don't just see that like a target, see it like a maze with these concentric circles. This activity of industry market and niche, naming your industry market and niche isn't an activity at all. It is more like a decade long journey. And I wanted to expand that and, and remind you of that on this episode because it took me all of college to get through that first concentric circle, that first part of the maze, the industry, I was weighing up, am I going to focus on design or illustration as my primary focus? And then once I got through that, it took me another, how many years, five, six, seven years to figure out which market I had to do, not just a lot of thinking, but a lot of projects. I had to make a lot of stuff that was the wrong market before I found the right market. That ended up being a five to seven year long journey. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not a thing you do in an afternoon. And so I wanted to bring that back up on the show because we didn't leave that in the past when we did that activity that was supposed to be setting us up for this enormous journey of getting closer and closer to the heart, to the essence, to the bullseye, to the niche, to the micro definition of our success. And so the second thing that you've got to do is say yes to that journey. It is the most important decision of your life is to find yourself and take that journey seriously. Okay, so as you're going along looking for which level am I stuck at? Have I found my industry? Have I found my market within that? Or have I, am I looking for and de continually defining my niche, really trying to stand out in a major way within the market, within the industry? As you're doing that, the third thing you got to do is look for clues for how to make decisions. What you're doing in each of those areas is making choices through the filter of your own taste, that internal intuition, like you have to make choices. If you don't make any choices, you don't have any way of communicating what you're about, who you are, and how you're different. And so you've got to make choices. You've got to say, I'm going to go to this path, which means not going to that path. Okay, so we've talked about industry market and niche on this show before. There's two reasons why I want to dive deeper into this. Number one is, like I said, I think it's just a thing you need to continually revisit because industry market and niche, I actually have multiple parts of my business. There are, I'm in the public speaking industry in one way, I'm in the podcasting industry in another arm, I'm in the uh, illustration industry in another side. And each of those, I can be at different places in that journey. And there's always new parts or movement or, uh, you know, things change. And so this is a thing you don't just do it once. You have to go back to it. The other reason I wanted to get into it was because I actually have some new clues to look out for that I haven't addressed uh, on this show that I think might help you figure out your industry market and niche. So number three is look for clues. Industry. Let's just go through the three T's. 
the three T's of industry, of which industry are you going to go into? The first one, you know, the industry, when you're thinking about, am I going into the music industry, the illustration industry, the design industry? The industry is just the big world. If you're having a creative career, it's the big world where the industry is thriving around a particular uh, creative act, okay? That's the most basic way that I feel like I can explain it. Music. But in music, there are pop musicians. There are commercial musicians that write music for commercials. There's people that make the, the soundtrack for movies and, and write, you know, the compositions for TV. There's a billion different markets within the industry of being a professional musician. And so when, for me personally, when I was trying to figure out in college, one of the early decisions on industry that I had to make is, am I going to go in the design industry or am I going into the illustration industry? And three T's that helped me make that decision were, and it was a decision. I was actually very uh, split and it was a tough thing to work out. But the three T's, talent, taste, and tolerance. Talent, talent. I think it's uh, the obvious one. Do you have a talent for this particular medium? But I actually think it's the least important one. I do think talent is a good thing to think about. It's a good thing to consider. Do you have any natural inclination, abilities, proclivities for this endeavor? That It's not the worst thing. But I also think take that with a grain of salt because I was the worst at my table at drawing in my drawing class in high school. And I'm the only one that made a career out of it. And so talent is not the only question you need to be asking yourself when you're deciding on your industry. Two other ones. We talk about taste a lot on the show. Uh, and when I say taste, what I mean is your creative intuition. It's the receptor. It's actually the receptor that informs your intuition. When I say taste, it means listening to your body. It means listening to your senses and that sixth sense, that intuition of, if you have a highly tuned, receptive instrument in terms of taste, you can actually do the most important thing in creative acts, which is make choices. That is what creativity is about. In my opinion, it's it's first and foremost about choices. Yes, you're making stuff, you're doing accidents, you're doing experiments, you're, you're putting stuff down on the page, but deciding what to keep and what to leave is all due to the receptor inside your taste on whether you know what's good and what's not. And so what do you have incredible taste for? I actually think that's a better marker in terms of how good you can be at something than talent, right? There are people that are ridiculously talented at drawing that can capture people's likeness, but they can't capture people's attention. Nobody actually likes what they're making. The same goes for there are people who can pluck guitar strings all night long, but they can't pluck heartstrings because they don't know what's good, what actually moves the soul. It's totally different than, than a talent or a skill. The third one, this is the one um, that we haven't talked much about on the show is we've talked a little bit about it, but I want to dive in with a deeper, deeper layer. layer deep, deep dish deep. we need it every time i say dive, dive deep. deep maybe we could just have a sound effect that says deep, deep dish, dish. <laughs> don't do that um <laughs> it'll get really old because i say it all the time man tolerance okay what can you what do you just have a ridiculous tolerance limitless curiosity you are going to need limitless, boundless curiosity to get where you want to go. You are going to have to have so much tolerance for this thing. I still, even though I have diversified my creative outputs into multiple industries, I still have a ridiculous tolerance. I'm still into, I'm still a fan of illustration. If I forget that, all it takes is, hey, open up Pinterest, open up Instagram, look at the stuff I've saved and go just start looking through. And all of a sudden I can just feel that curiosity brewing like, oh, man, look at the kind of cool stuff that's happening. And look at that old stuff. It's rich with all this coolness. And um, and uh, and so my tolerance is high. My sister, she's read thousands and thousands and thousands of books. She is a crazy reader. And I think it would mean that she's a good writer. If you listen to this, sis. That's my public endorsement. Um, 
Yes, I think that uh, for me personally, you know, I I subscribe to the Sunday New York Times, and it's been a good education for me because I have a hard time getting through it. Uh, I get a lot of my news online, and I really like, I really do like the New York Times, but I don't have as high of a tolerance for it as I do other things. And it makes me think like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't put all my eggs into the basket of editorial illustration because my tolerance is just not, it's above average, but it's not super high. So what do you just have an endless tolerance of your limitless curiosity about? You're going to need that. You're going to need the taste to get where you're trying to go. That's industry. Market. Three C's of market. Okay, chemistry, creative process, and conjecture. Conjecture is the spicy one that I want to get to. Uh, Chemistry is just about, do you feel like the people in this market are kind of your people? I say that, you know, finding your people is halfway to finding yourself. Once you find people that are like you, like all of a sudden, if you know, if you gather people like you and everyone be like, you guys are the same. You spend a little time with that and your niche will become so apparent because when you have everything in common besides a few things, those things break the pattern, they create a focal point and it's obvious how you're different and that's how you find yourself in that comparison. But that's not what we're talking about yet. We're talking about, um, I'm very excited. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's catching this, but I am very excited. Um, uh, creative process, or no, we'll go back to chemistry. One of the ways I think you can do this is hang out with podcasters. Have you ever seen that meme of what it feels like to listen to a podcast? And it's a, it's like a picture of people hanging out. Uh, it's a, it's like a poster. And then there's one person sat next to the poster pretending to hang out with the people on the poster. That's what it feels like to listen to a podcast, which is what I love about podcasts. But one of the things that will help you is go find podcasts in that particular market. When I listen to picture book podcasts, I'm like, Oh man, like I want to be your friend. I want to go hang out. I want to have these conversations so much about diving deeper into an industry and finding where you fit in a market is about to me, just having the conversations that you want to have, just being good enough to justify having being at the table in conversations that you find invigorating, being a part of the process. Really, when you when you love a creative endeavor, it's not it becomes not enough to consume it. You want to participate in it. Right. So where are the tables you want to sit with? There are other tables in the illustration world that I can sit in a bunch of them because I like illustration a lot, but not every one do I find invigorating. So where's the chemistry? The second one, we'll talk about creative process. Once you're sat at those tables, go sit out, you know. You're at the lunchroom, okay? The the lunchroom is the industry. The tables are the uh, markets. Go sit at a bunch of tables and just see how they fit. See, listen, I think one of the main things is you're looking for people's brains that work in in some similar ways to yours. And public speaking, public speaking, (laughs) I went to a different voice there. Public speaking, it's where, that's where I found myself. Um... I apologize for this mood that I'm in. Um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, Public speaking, uh, and especially storytellers in particular, also comics, listening to the way that they create and seeing how they write notes, test it on stage, and and just kind of slowly memorize it that way and test it, that is so appealing to the way that I create stuff. And it's how I approach this podcast. And it's one of the things that that made me certain that this is like me. These are my people. Pay attention to their creative process. By the way, we went off the rails with a lunchroom analogy. Let's just circle back to the sports analogy. You know how I love sports? I genuinely, I genuinely do, I guess, love playing sports. Uh, my ADHD makes it difficult to watch other people have fun playing sports. It's just kind of weird um, in my mind. But it's weird to watch other people have fun. I don't, uh, like, what's in it for you? Anyway, back to the sports analogy. The industry is your sport. Like, you, Michael Jordan, if he picks the wrong industry, he's going to be average or below average. When he was in baseball, he was below, he was average. I've heard, I've been told. I never watched baseball, but in it, in the right industry, he's an all time hero. 
But the same goes for the team. Where is the chemistry? Where are your people? There are people like LeBron James, who if you put them on the wrong team with people they don't get along with, it can be a nightmare. It can be, you can have the best players in the world. You have five of the best players on a basketball team and they don't play well together and they lose consistently. That's how important finding where you fit is. Okay, last one on this one is conjecture. Conjecture, okay. Conjecture is forming an incorrect opinion with limited information. Another way to talk about it is prejudice, but then it wouldn't be the three C's. But prejudice, this is an interesting one. Man, I feel like part of the job of the creator is to subvert opinions, subvert stereotypes. But in order to subvert it, You've got to identify with the pattern, a.k.a. fit in, fit in with the market, and then break it. And so one of the things that I think is, this is a, you know, this is kind of high-level creativity. It's kind of a type of uh, jujitsu where you're taking some someone's energy, negative energy coming at you and using it against them. This is what I think of it uh, like. And it, and it requires some bravery and courage. But conjecture is about saying, what do others perceive about me? When I had Johnny Pemberton on the show, he's an actor, comedian. He's actually got his own show coming out soon. He was a member of, uh, he was on Superstore, NBC's Superstore, and they're doing a spinoff with his character, and I'm super pumped about it because he is freaking hilarious. But one of the things he said was in early acting classes, one of the things he was trying to get was, how do people see me? Because that's going to affect what kind of roles I go for. But... You don't have to be bound by that. I think we take an either or. We say, I'm not going to let anybody's prejudice define me. But I think it's important to know people do judge books by their cover. It doesn't mean you can't once get once you get them in there, change their minds. Now, this is tricky, right? But I think it's powerful. I got a, one of my favorite examples is Kendrick Lamar. His song, Swimming Pools, drank. It's a freaking great song. I Kendrick is one of the creative gods of using conjecture against people. You know, that song has become a wildly popular drinking song. And I just imagine, like, people are going to drink to any song. It's not going to change whether people drink. But for the people that are so freaking obsessed with that song, that are deep, like, deeply about drinking, if they listen to that song enough, they realize it is an anti-alcoholism song. It is a, you know, you, if you do this wrong, it's a bait and switch. If you do this right, it's a plot twist that surprises people and blows them away and defies their expectations and prejudices. It actually highlights their prejudices. Do you have the courage to mess with the perception of who you are? Hannah Gadsby did this with the comedy special Nanette. It was billed as comedy. And it, it was comedy, but it was also something totally different. And sure, it made a few people mad, but guess what? It got people's attention and it made headlines and it rose the awareness of uh, pain and trauma for the LGBTQ community. And guess what? The artist's job isn't to play by the rules. And so I don't think anybody can be mad. That's what it's all about. Nobody left Sixth Sense and was like, hey, wait a second. I thought this was just a horror movie. I didn't know it was going to touch my heart, too. No, this is the job. This is the job of the courageous artist is to mess with conjecture. And, and I always find that just uh, the most inspiring thing. Last one, niche niche okay or niche look i know there's multiple ways to say it i'm not just ignorantly going about choosing the word niche but remember creativity is all about choices and i have made my decision i will die on the hill of calling it niche not because that's what it's called because that's what i like to say uh your niche or niche or niche i uh whichever you whatever you want to say there's three three f's for niche Okay, we've talked about a few of these, but the one I want to uh, start with is failures. The easiest way to stand out is to own your failures. If you're playing sports, it's the position on the team. 
That's how you stand out within this team that you fit in on. And you just have to say, first off, let's just cross off every position that I have no business even considering. There's no way that Shaq is going to be the point guard. It's just not going to happen. Right. And so, but is he the center or the power forward? I don't know. I'm asking you, but I don't know what these positions mean. Um, but seriously, what you'll cross a bunch off just by starting with your failures. Use your failures as a as an advantage. You know, when I play sports, my brain works so differently than regular people. I'm making decisions out there on the court that nobody makes, and therefore I often surprise people and it causes my dad's best friend to call me stealth man. (laughs) He's kind of making fun of me, but I also appreciate it because I always show up in places nobody thought I was going to be, catch the ball, maybe make a layup or pass it, dish it off to somebody. Dishing it off. I am owning this sports episode right now. I'm dishing. Talking about power forwards. Anyway, uh, stealth man. Okay. That's a, uh, that's really based on a failure of mine, which I don't know how the game works in such a way where I make choices that are, that make any sense. Um, and that gives me this weird advantage, but the same is true for people like my man, Aaron Draplin, Aaron Draplin. He, he's a Midwesterner. He is a, he's got that working class kind of design aesthetic and attitude. He likes design that works, Right. He likes, he's got an aesthetic that's middle America. Everything about that, when he rose up to his place, when he rose up in his industry and market, everything about that, everything about coming from the Midwest and not being this well-educated New Yorker designer, those were all seen as failures and they ended up becoming the secret to standing out. When you have something like, you look around and you say, oh, I can't fit in with these people. I don't have that. Do you know how many people are out there like you that have the set, that are going to identify, they're going to relate to the ways that you don't fit into the market? That is going to be a one-way ticket to finding your true fans. Own your failures as strengths. Two other, two other ones, four. What are you for? Who are you for? We talked about this on the pizza book episode, but this idea of stopping what you're doing and realizing the end goal almost for every creative activity is to one day get all those people gathered in a room. You know, whether you're doing a book signing, whether you're doing a concert, whether you're doing uh, showing your films, you're gathering people. And I would suggest trying to gather the people you want to be in the room with. Who are you for? You're going to be for, you're going, you're, you're going to be for people that other people in your market aren't. That's a huge way to stand out. The third one is fight, disagree, right? There's this moment in every kid's life when you realize your hero, your parent, uh, is not perfect. It happened to me. My dad was trying to replace, he's not super handy. He's a finance guy. He's an ideas guy. He's really brilliant, but it's not super handy. He was replacing the toilet seat and accidentally with his hammer, uh, chopped the toilet in half. <laughs> I, was, I must've been like eight years old. And I think that was the first time where I was like, huh, my dad is not perfect. He's not, uh, infallible. He has flaws. And, and, and I think that it's really healthy That's when you become adults is when you own your own decisions, when you're able to disagree with your parents. And so when you will really, when you're ready to carve out an inch, when you're in that point of your journey, it's not something you have to try to do. You're going to start to see faults. Maybe this one should have been faults (laughs) and not fight, but you're going to fight with your heroes. You're going to AKA disagree with your heroes. You're going to say, you know what? I wouldn't have done that. All right. This part kind of messed it for me. As you go down on this journey, you're going to get more and more nuanced of a palette. You're going to get this. You're going to start to uh, form your own opinions on this micro decision layer. And all of a sudden your heroes aren't going to do it for you as well as they used to. And when you're feeling that way, You don't even have to try to do it. But when that starts to happen, you are in the phase to 
carve out your niche. Last thing I want to say, just to wrap all this up, is I know way more about Michael Jordan than I really wish that I did. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not my point, but my my family is obsessed with Michael Jordan, and so I know so much about Michael Jordan, and somehow I really care about him as a person, even though I've watched, you know, probably like a collective 16 minutes of his <laughs> games. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, when I'm watching his, the history of MJ, Airman, Jordan Air, uh, I, I, I'm really struck by how he could have really missed his industry market and niche at the most fundamental level. He could have turned in at the industry level. He could have made a turn into baseball and it would have made a lot of sense. The reason why is that his dad loved baseball. It was something they bonded over. And when his dad uh, was murdered, he actually, in kind of, it seems like kind of a tribute to his dad, he actually went and played pro baseball for a little while. And I think, you know, it's a really moving thing to do, and it's probably probably was a good idea. It's not really my place to, to judge on that. But uh, inevitably, he went back to his thing, basketball, and I just imagine that that bond with his dad and his dad's expectations and, and values could have weighed on Michael in such a way that he never disobeyed, that he never took a different route, that he let his dad's preferences and passions decide for him and how, how tragic that would have been for this Hall of Famer for him to really miss his thing in such a, such a dr dramatic way at, at level one of this maze. And, you know, it, it, it feels very personal to me because my family is so obsessed with, with basketball that my dad actually named my little brother Jordan. His name's Jordan after Michael Jordan. And I just thank the heavens that they didn't name me Jordan because the amount of disappointment that would have happened the first time I shot a basketball and just more or less threw it the opposite of direction completely on accident. Uh, like that horror, I am the grace that was given to me to avoid being the son named Jordan. I just, I am, I'm perpetually grateful. But I think back to Andy when he's like, 12 years old, it's early internet days, and I get my first email address. And I never cared about sports. I, everybody in the family knew I didn't care. And I wonder why. Why did I choose the Hotmail name Jordanair0023? And it's just... It's just such an uncomfortable picture of how desperate we are to live for other people. And I do it still today. I, when you're living for other people, you don't have energy. You've lost your zest for life. You can't remember why life is worth living. If you choose to make decisions about your industry, your market, and your niche, if you never choose your own path, you will miss it in a fundamental way. And the world will miss out on you doing your thing in a way that only you can do it. Are you playing ba baseball when you need to be in basketball on the 90s Chicago Bulls as the point guard? F do the work to figure that out. It is a worthwhile journey. It will be tough. But when you are on the heels of where the life is going... That feeling of like, I am more or less giving life a flat tire, like stepping on the back of their shoe. I am just right on the pulse of where my energy wants to go, where my curiosity is endless. Your energy abounds, your excitement for life. You can get out of bed like that is worth fighting for, working for. It doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of work to make more and more room in your life 
to be where life is going, but it is worthwhile. And I just wanted to leave you with one last idea, going where the life is going in the words of Rob Bell. That's what he calls it. You know, staying on that pulse. It requires discipline. It does. It kind of defies logic. When you taste something so life affirming, so life giving, something that lights up your curiosity, you would think, of course, I'm not going to forget that thing. But the press, the outside pressures and expectations and distractions are so huge. Life can lead you to water, but it will not force you to drink. Even just this week, I. I started having a chat with someone I was introduced to three years ago. Three years ago, I thought that is somebody I need to prioritize talking with because they know an infinite amount about the stuff that I am just die hard, crazy curious about. I had a conversation with this person three years later and the amount of passion and fire that you're hearing in this episode is directly filtered and channeled from that conversation. This is me talking back to Andy three years ago saying, what are you doing? (laughs) Schedule a meeting with this person. You know that's where the life is. Quit letting FOMO distract you. Get on the heels. Give the universe a flat tire. Be on it or you will miss it. Quick summary and, and homework. Number one, micro define success. Get really micro about it. It, it. You know, whatever this thing is that you want to go into, whatever industry it is, it's not just about one thing. Illustration isn't just about drawing. It's not even the part that's interesting to me. The part that's interesting to me is the storytelling aspect of it. Okay, so micro define it. Say yes to the journey to finding your strengths. This is a journey. This is a, I'm telling you, you, if you dedicate yourself to this journey, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in, you will be finding new strengths and more nuance to your strengths that will make you so much more powerful and potent. And it will equal yes, better earning, but ultimately way more creative fulfillment. Fulfillment comes from, meaning comes from serving other people in ways that nobody else can. When you're doing something, you think this actually makes a difference. Other people couldn't just show up and do this. You will feel like you matter. So say yes to finding that. The third thing is look for clues. My buddy Kyle Sheely talks about it like be Steve from Blue's Clues. And, and look for clues on your creative path. Look for the industry clues. Look for the market clues. Look for the niche clues. Speaking of which, here's the homework. Speaking of niche, here's the homework. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was. The homework is, if you're stuck on industry, if you haven't picked one of those yet, uh, or you're stuck on market, you're stuck on niche, I want you to not think about it in your head. I want you to make something. I want you to make tests, hopefully multiple tests, but definitely one. If you're thinking, I don't know if I should do design or illustration, try to do your best design and try to do your best illustration and just see how it feels. Use that taste to determine, listen to your body. Which one feels like being you? Which one feels like, oh, I have endless tolerance for this. If you're stuck in market, I want you to make something for the markets that you're weighing up. For me, that meant a small project on doing book covers. It was a small project on doing editorial uh, illustrations. It was a small project on kids' book illustration. And eventually, one of them just felt like this fits better. And it, it I, and, I would, and I didn't know it for sure, but it was enough to tre- uh, trudge on forward and, and really collect data and figure it out. Last one, niche. If you're stuck in the niche area, make a piece of work that tries to communicate how you're different. Make a piece of work that doesn't try to be something you're not, that owns the fact that you can't hit a free throw if your life depended on it. Uh, You know, make a project that's you in the paint. I don't know what that means, but I think it means close to the basketball uh, hoop. And, uh, and make something that is just, don't worry about all the critique of why it, all the ways that it fails, like own that. Who cares? Like for me, it was being subtle. Like, uh, you know, I, my work is not very subtle 
And for the longest time I was running from that. But in the niche really started when I leaned into not being subtle, being maximal, being explosive, color drenched, like that's where it started to happen. So make the opposite of your failures, lean totally out of them, all the way in the other category. Don't even try to be something you're not if that's where you're stuck and see how it feels. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast by signing up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll receive an email each week with a new episode plus instantaneous exclusivity to the back catalog of episodes one through 199. Thanks to Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing this show so beautifully. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Peace.